0: Welcome to the Imagine Alba podcast, bringing Scotland to you as we share its captivating history, celebrated myths, spectacular landscapes, and vibrant culture. Join us for a virtual journey across Scotland as we Imagine Alba. Hello, I'm your host, Michelle, coming to you from beautiful Argyle. We are finally back from our very long hiatus. I hope everyone is safe and well out there. We are okay here so far. Things have not been too bad in the Oban area. Rab and I have just been hunkered down here on the farm, where at least it's easy to stay isolated. With the great news about a vaccine coming out this week, we have cause to be hopeful. But it's true, the holidays are going to be tough this year. We won't be able to celebrate like we usually do. And, of course, we can't travel right now. So we've been ramping up our efforts to bring Scotland to you virtually with even more content. Be sure to visit ImagineAlba.com and subscribe to our monthly newsletter. Plus our channels on iTunes, YouTube, and across social media. We have videos, images, 360 tours, and more where you can get your Scotland fix for free. Now, without further ado, let's get started. In this two part episode of the podcast, we're visiting one of the most notorious chapters in Scottish history, the Highland Clearances. You're probably familiar with the topic, so rather than a broad overview, we're going to look at the clearances through the experience of one community. In this first part, I'll introduce you to the Argyle village of Araconan. It's the site of one of the most infamous Highland Clearance riots we visited recently. For the first time, it's only about an hour from our house, and of all the ruins we've explored in Scotland, and there are many, Arakonen is for us perhaps the most poignant. So we really wanted to share it with you. A bit later, Ralph will join me for the Scots Word of the Day to help tell the story. And with that, here's the ballad of Arakonen. April 4, 1848, Neil Malcolm III, the 13th of Paltolock, served a notice to 40 of his tenant farmers. By the 27th of May, it read, they were to, quote, flit and remove themselves. These people were being ordered to pick up from their homes and farms, take all of their possessions, including their cattle, and say goodbye to the only life they knew. Thus, the clearance of one highland village began. Ereconin. It's nestled in the Caledonian forest on the Natdale Peninsula. This is on the very edge of the southwest highlands. We have a map and images on the website so you can get an idea. It consists of a chain of traditional stone buildings built down a ridge. The southwestern view sweeps down Loch Sween to the sea, and all the way to Ireland on a clear day. By today's standards, Arakonen is beyond the boondocks. If you go there today, chances are you'll have it all to yourself, except for maybe a fox and a few crows. But this wasn't always the case. The sea connects Napdale to the rest of the world like a superhighway, bringing traders, raiders, immigrants, and visitors to and fro since the Ice Age first in Wicker and Hyde Courichs, later in mighty Gallic Berlins and Viking longships. But today, just a few ferries, yachts, and fishing boats are left. In the Stone Age, people were attracted to Napdale's deep, cozy caves like holiday condos, where they sheltered, hunted, and enjoyed the local seafood. Later, Neolithic farmers settled here. They herded cattle, grew oats and barley, and built mysterious stone monuments to predict the cycles of the skies and the earth. In the Dark Ages, famous Irish saints such as St. Columba and St. Cormac came to these shores from where they founded important religious communities and converted the Picts to Christianity. A chain of imposing hill forts ruled by powerful Gallic chieftains dotted this landscape like a string of pearls, protecting it from everyone from the Romans to the Saxons to the Vikings. After all, it's a gateway straight into the Great Glen, the heart of the Highlands. And some researchers even assert that the area was the home of the mythical King Arthur. find worse places to live than Arakonen. A bubbling burn of sweet cold water runs through on its way to the sea with an endless catch of fish, seafood, and birds at your back door. The soil is not great for growing crops, but it's ideal for grazing animals. This part of Scotland is a temperate rainforest, gently warmed by the Gulf Stream. Indeed, it does rain a lot, but that's what keeps it so green and lush and it doesn't often freeze here. By the Middle Ages, Napdale was part of a powerful kingdom that straddled Scotland, Ireland, and Norway. Thousands of people lived here, at one time under the protection of the High King of Ireland himself, guarded by the legendary gallo from their mighty stone castle on Loch Swein. That castle is still standing, by the way. So you see, once upon a time, Natdale was happening. You're listening to the Imagine Alba podcast, and in a moment, we'll continue our look at the Highland Clearances through the experience of the people in the village of Araconan. But first, let's welcome Rab with the Scots Word of the Day.
1: Hello, this is Rab with the Scots word of the day. Our word today is sheeling. A sheeling is a wee shepherd's hut. Families who lived in the glens would drive their cattle up to the hills in the summer to graze. They would build small temporary huts with sticks and mud, or sometimes more sturdy shelters out of stone. Think of a sheeling as a summer cabin, a place to get out of the rain, sleep and in autumn, perform seasonal butchering, protected by the winds. In the Middle Ages, many shielings evolved into permanent settlements, so the name came to refer to any stone farm building. We see the word shieling first used in 1568. It's related to the Middle English shale, Old Frisian skul, which means hiding place, and to Old Norse skali, which refers to a hut or shelter. This is a great example of the hodgepodge nature of the Scots language. Sheelings were also well known as trysting places. A jug of whisky and a soft blanket were all you needed to turn a rustic sheeling into a romantic spot for a clandestine liaison. You can still see the remains of sheelings all across the Highland landscape today. Stay safe everyone and I'll see you next time.
0: Thanks, Rav. Now that we know what sheeling means, we can understand the name Ereconin, which means sheeling dedicated to St. Conan. St. Conan is another one of those famous Irish saints that I was talking about. In fact, he's the patron saint of this area. For more than 2,000 years, shepherds built sheelings in the hills on sites like this, where families spent the summer letting their cattle graze. When the population outgrew the best fertile bottomland, where it's most desirable to live, families were forced into the hills permanently. Sheelings turned into houses. By the 1600s, Arakonen had evolved into a township. In the native Gaelic, a uh, bala, our hometown, roughly translated. Life changed little at Arakonen over the years. People worked hard, they raised their kids, and savored a dram or two at Saturday Cayley's went to church on Sunday. Their holiday celebrations marked the passing of the seasonal rhythms that's a farmer's life. But these folks weren't primitive by any means. They possessed a deep, rich Gaelic language, history, and culture for which Western Scotland is still famous, imbued with sophisticated poetry, myth and music, highly skilled textile arts, and, of course, the science of making Ushkabea. From a long succession of clan chiefs, the locals held a traditional right to settle on plots of land in exchange for tribute, things like cattle and grain, but more importantly, their swords. Those swords were hidden in the thatch, ready to seize at a moment's notice to fight by the side of their clansmen. But after the breakdown of the clan system, the Battle of Culloden, the unification of Scotland and England, landowners didn't need a resident army. They rarely even lived in Scotland anymore. They mainly lived in London, today's equivalent of the trust fund kid. And life as a toff doesn't come cheap. You need cold hard cash. So members of the clan, Gallic for Children, turned instead into faceless tenants. Extended families had to chip in to lease poor plots of land in exchange for cash rent that grew year by year far outstripping what we would call the inflation rate. It seems there were six families at Araconan in 1848 who, like their ancestors, raised cattle, grew oats and barley, and later those newfangled potatoes. These were an intermarried and extended family group of Maclean's, McDougal's, McClellan's, McLaughlin's, Campbell's, and McMillan's. The men burned the surrounding oak wood for charcoal in big brick ovens. The women and girls dyed wool fabric in a big communal stone boiler and sang ancient walking songs as they pounded urine-soaked tweed on a wooden table. The boys fattened their cattle and drove them to market in Falkirk. Everyone pitched in to plow the rigs in spring and bring in the harvest in autumn. It probably wasn't too bad a life, to be honest. Not until the potato famine. In the 1800s, things started to get really rough at Eraconian. As families grew, prime fertile land became scarcer. They had to cast lots each spring to determine who would get to plow the best rigs. A failed harvest meant your children went hungry. As the famine kicked in, Neil Malcolm II, the 12th of Poltolic, died, leaving an immense inheritance to his son, Neil III, a resident of Mayfair. The Malcolms acquired their vast wealth not in Scotland but in the colonies. Off the backs of African slaves, they grew an empire of sugar, rum, cotton, and cattle almost beyond compare in Jamaica. As the Malcolms' fortunes rose, that of other local clans fell. Some were forced to sell much of their property, including Arakonen. The Campbells, traditionally Argyle's most prominent clan, sold it to the McNeils, who then sold it to, you guessed it, the Malcolms this is the Imagine Alba podcast, bringing Scotland to you. Stay with us. When we come back, I'll discuss the anatomy of One Highland Clearance.
1: Can you imagine your perfect day in Scotland? Would you make a pilgrimage to the land of your ancestors? or explore magnificent castles and mysterious stone circles? Perhaps you would hike into the heart of an ancient supervolcano or follow in the footsteps of legendary kings and powerful druids. Maybe you would top it all off by indulging in world-class seafood and, of course, a dram or two of the local whisky. No matter how you imagine your perfect day in Scotland, we'll help you make it happen on an Imagine Alba private day tour, local experience, or self-drive itinerary. Visit imaginealba.com to find out more. Imagine Alba. Find your Scottish soul.
0: And we're back with the Imagine Alba podcast, in part one of our two-parter on the clearance of Araconance. Before we get into the riot in part two, let's take a brief look at how this particular clearance worked. To a young Neil Malcolm III, like so many Scottish Lairds, the old world ways were giving way to the new world ways. When he looked at the books for his Jamaican holdings, then looked at the books for his Scottish holdings, it was a no-brainer. Slave trade in Britain was abolished in 1807. That meant you could not import slaves into the country, so he couldn't exactly copy his successful Jamaican business model. But like many landowners, Malcolm modified the plantation system to fit Scotland. This was his plan. Step 1. Choose the strongest and brightest men among the natives. They will stay to manage your new enormous flocks of sheep. Step two, evict everyone else. They, their cattle, and their children are taking up valuable room that your sheep need to graze. Step three, put the people on a boat to your plantation in Australia, where if they survive, they can work for you, producing much more valuable crops than barley and oats. By a similar process, an estimated up to quarter million people were cleared from Scotland in both the highlands and lowlands. That number is disputed, but it was certainly many, many thousands. Some Highlanders were forced into fishing or the dreaded kelp business on the coast. Some emigrated to the big cities like Glasgow or further afield like Australia or the Americas. While many landlords were forced to evict tenants due to personal financial difficulties, This does not appear to have been the case at Araconin. Malcolm was an MP for Boston. He was a power broker on a multinational scale. His family helped build the Crennan Canal and opened up Argyle's slate quarries and timber crops to the rest of the empire. He owned more than 2,000 slaves at any one time. But this guy chose to not only evict his tenants during a potato famine, he waited until they had sown their crops to do it. Adding to the understandable resentment of the residents, they had to deal with not Malcolm, whom they likely never met, but his estate manager, an unpleasant man named William Martin. Martin was English, one strike against him, and a former dragoon, another strike. He had a history of quelling riots violently, third strike. He didn't speak Gaelic or even try to communicate with the locals in their native and, for the most part, only language. Perhaps these successive insults decided it. Malcolm's tenants were not going to take his especially egregious eviction lying down. Instead, they went down in a blaze of glory in one of Scotland's most famous clearance riots. going to leave you there on a cliffhanger so be sure to join us in two weeks time for this second part of our story of eric Conan. don't forget to subscribe and visit us at imaginealba.com for extras on the podcast plus much more scottish content to inspire you we always love to hear from you so please get in touch through the website social media or by email at imaginealba at yahoo.co.uk this is Michelle for the Imagine Alba podcast, bringing Scotland to you. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you in two weeks.